TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I noticed you're looking a little bit wispy today. I'm feeling a little bit different today, Chris. Everything feels new, and oh, I've got what do you call these things on this? Those are, those are fingers, Matthew. They're on what we call a hand. Oh, huh. It feels so interesting to feel again. <laughs> again. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just like your ancestors did. Yes. Exactly. It's been a long time, Chris. It's been a long time. You forget that. <laughs> it has been a long time indeed. Yes, everyone, today we're going to continue our 20th anniversary rewatch of Enterprise with the 18th episode of Season 2, The Crossing. And here is a quick rundown of the story. When the Enterprise is swallowed by a giant whale-like ship, Archer and the crew find themselves in the belly of a beast, a beast filled with wispy critters who want to experience life in real bodies and eat bread. Soon, an opportunity for seeking out new life turns into an invasion of the body snatchers and only the successful completion of a very complex panel removal sequence can save the crew. All right, Matthew, does that pretty much sum up the story? I know it was brief, but, you know, we went, we went start to finish Yeah, I there. just, uh, yeah. I did just want to uh, hear one of the creatures uh, in, a, you know, a human body again be like, I'm a real boy, uh, you know, so. <laughs> that would have been a uh, wonderful addition, yeah. especially if it were Reed exactly. who delivered the line. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Maybe um, in the turbo lift, he asks the crewman, you're a female, aren't you? And she says, last time I checked, and he said, I'm a real boy. And she would say, uh, yeah, I can see that, <laughs> Lieutenant. <laughs> yes, that would be great. Um, yeah, I mean, this one is uh, this is a very interesting episode in the sense that it's been a long time since I have seen this one. And so coming back to it was kind of an odd experience, mainly because I had forgotten, I feel like, a lot of this episode. Mm-hmm. And there is uh, an interesting beginning to it because... As we get into what the story is and the experience that crew members are having with this crossing, I mean, that is the very essence of Enterprise's mission, which is to explore, you know, strange new worlds, different types of of, of existence and being and everything. And yet it also poses a a real conundrum for archer which is he's very trepidatious about exploring this because these these creatures these beings whatever they are seem less than forthcoming about you know who they are and what they're doing and all of that and so there is an interesting beginning to this episode and i think there's a lot of promise at the start of the episode because of it uh and and yet i don't know if 
if necessarily the promise ever pays off. Right. Yeah, that's well, yeah, they are really shifty about their motives and the episode becomes creepy in that sense. You can tell Archer is uncomfortable with what's going on, but in a way it's it's unfortunate that the episode takes that turn because as you say it starts out with something very interesting and yeah, like you, I hadn't watched the episode in quite a while. And I remember the part about the wisps and them encountering the big ship and the idea of exchanging planes of existence between being corporeal and not. But the other details of the episode and the overall plot, I didn't remember as well. And so when it starts, it seems interesting, especially when you get to the mess hall scene where the wisp who is possessing Tucker's body is eating and he's really taken by bread. I mean, Matthew, have you have you ever had this before? He picks up the most plain item on the table, <laughs> this gigantic spread of stuff. And he's like, this bread is just magnificent. But it's actually the dialogue. Well, you there. know, Chris, I know people that love bread though, which is strange. Uh, so, well, um, yeah, <laughs> no, some bread is wonderful. I mean, there's great types of bread out there that you can enjoy. And I can understand why people like bread, but the bread that he picks up is just like a plain white. It's a slice of white bread, sandwich bread that nothing special about it at all. And he's so taken by it. And, but, but it works actually for, that aspect of the story, if you're an alien who is normally just some kind of wispy energy and you've never eaten food before, you might really be impressed by sliced bread. But <laughs> what I think- I mean, you know, nothing better than individually wraps, uh, you know, individually sliced bread pieces. I mean, when that happened, I mean, life just changed forever. And so uh, exactly. they just, they're now realizing that. But again, yeah. Well, the invention of the will, the invention of sliced bread, the invention of the warp five drive, still the invention of sliced bread. So that's how they pair up throughout human history. But what I know, what I think is interesting, though, about what Tuck, Tucker says is that, you know, Archer asks him, where do you come from? And Tucker says, we live in subspace, we travel through it, we're explorers like you. And that's a promising start to the story, the idea that in Star Trek, we as humans are out there exploring, and the mission of Star Trek is supposed to be to seek out new life and learn from that new life. And here is a perfect opportunity, and you've got aliens that at least at this point seem to want to have some kind of cultural exchange. And it feels hopeful that that's the direction that the story is going to go in. And Tucker says it's been a long time since we've encountered corporeal beings. And after we perform the first crossing with your commander, meaning Tucker, we realize that we're compatible. And he says you're very interesting. And this part I especially like. You're trapped in bodies that need maintenance because I have to tell you it. My age at 50 and, you know, feeling the creakiness that starts to come into your body as you get older, 
it's very frustrating to know that we live in these bodies that need maintenance when there's right. so much that you <laughs> you want to do still and you can't necessarily do all the things that you did when you're younger but also you realize that you know your time is finite and because we live in these bodies that need maintenance so i like that aspect of the story as well and the idea that there maybe life that exists in another form that doesn't have to worry about that. Then he also says you have gender, you require mates to reproduce, you eat food, and then he reveals that we were like you once, but we evolved. Now we can learn how our ancestors lived. And all those things are pretty interesting, especially we've seen other aliens in Star Trek that were once corporeal and who evolved. It's it's even implied that that's what happened to the Q. And the idea that by possessing corporeal beings, they are going on some sort of exploratory mission to find out how their ancestors live, which raises a lot of ethical questions, of course, whether they should just be possessing people. But there's a lot of stuff that could be unpacked here in 45 minutes. But unfortunately, the only part of this that we really focus on is you have gender and you require mates to reproduce, and then Reed tries to go around and sleep with crew members. Well, and, and I think the the interesting nature of the non-corporeal life forms is is cool. I mean, obviously, this is the first time in chronological canon of Star mm-hmm. Trek that, that we have their appearance. I think as you were rattling off all the things that we kind of learn about them, one of the things that doesn't actually really truly make sense and they never explain is why do they, if they live in subspace, why do they need a ship? Um, right. They don't yeah. really necessarily explain that very well. And well, so it's like their trap. Just a lot of, That's their trap to, uh, yeah, I guess suck ships in. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's again, I don't understand it. This is something that they just don't ever really touch. Okay, mm-hmm. so we've got these beings, and they they live in sp- subspace, but they supposedly need this ship to travel space, and mm-hmm. they can't be in actual space, which doesn't. So is the ship creating a subspace field that they're basically living in? Right. And like I don't, I don't get it. So okay, and then so- how do they get to the Enterprise when the Enterprise isn't inside? their ship anymore I, I there's just so many questions that i have about this episode that never are adequate like the fact that i'm thinking about all of these things while i'm watching the episode is is a a damning mm-hmm. thing against the episode itself yeah well see the question about space now it's not explained like you say it is mentioned when they're up in the catwalk T'Pol and Archer are talking, and T'Pol tells Archer that their ship is deteriorating and they have no way to repair it. They can't survive in space. But she doesn't explain why they can't survive in space. She just drops the fact that they can't survive in space, which I guess in the writing is supposed to be enough for us to just accept the fact that they need this giant spaceship, which you're questioning. And then later, when they're hatching the plan of how can they trap the wisps and get rid of them? And Archer has the idea of, well, what if the host body is dead? And T'Pol says it would be no different than being exposed to space. 
they die. So they establish this idea that they they have to somehow be in this ship, which mm-hmm. apparently has an atmosphere that at least is configured when the Enterprise comes in so that humans can breathe it. But of course, they stay, which I think is actually wise, they stay in their spacesuits the whole time anyway, even though they probably mm-hmm. can take them off. Well, and then I, I still don't understand how you can, how they are getting from their ship to the Enterprise when the Enterprise isn't actually in their ship anymore, which seems mm, to true. make no yeah. sense. Yeah. If they're not, if they can't just traverse space. And well, so, uh, yeah, they, there's there's a lot of things that just don't really um, yeah. completely make sense or line up in the episode. And I think that's one of the things that makes this frustrating because you mentioned all these, you know, good facts that we kind of learn that would have made this like interesting Mm -hmm. to like dig through uh, if we really wanted to dive into this, but we don't really do any of that in the episode. Yeah. I suppose the way they get to the enterprise is that they use subspace because they exist in subspace. But again, that's not ever clear. I feel like if this story were Mm -hmm. done on the next generation, which it very much could have been done on the next generation, I think Geordi and Data would have explained that the beings are using subspace to move from their ship to the Enterprise. It feels like that's one of those little story elements that probably would have been in there, which would have made the story feel a bit more cohesive. Well, at any rate, moving on to some other aspects of the story, we often talk here on Warp 5 about the growing relationship between Archer and T'Pol, and we talked a little bit before recording about Archer's growth, and I'm wondering how much growth is really here. You see the interaction between Archer and T'Pol, and T'Pol is really trying to help him along to see things in a different way. And in this story, I almost feel like Archer has taken a little step back because he's really bothered by the fact that he feels like his ship is trapped he sees these aliens as being hostile, and T'Pol tries to talk him down from that a bit and make him just stop and look at the situation. And he says, it sure seems hostile to me. And she says, well, I guess that depends on how you look at it. And I, I feel like we had been building with the Archer character towards him looking at things from more angles like that. And here he's back to the base human instinct of feeling threatened, and not really looking at the situation. And that's at the beginning of the episode. That's not after it's become clear that they're trying to possess everyone's bodies and and take over the crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, that... Uh, so, I see growth in the sense that I feel like Archer is more discerning. He just isn't immediately trusting... Uh, and I, I think he—it's he, not as though he's not looking for the aliens to ever give him like a reason to trust them, but he's on his guard. And I think the thing about this is that these aliens actually never give him the reason for him to fully open up. Mm -hmm. So uh, to me, that's the way I read it is that it's not as though he's not open to that happening. 
but it never happens. And then, you know, everything kind of continues to go haywire. And and I think what's really interesting is that, you know, when we learn what the aliens themselves want, then they never think, again, you know, the aliens never think to actually just ask us for help, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that's something that's uh, really interesting. And but what um, kind of help would they ask for? Because really they've got their ship and they want to experience what it's like to be in a corporeal body. So the only help we could really give them is to say, okay, here are 12 crew members. You can possess them for a day. And you can take turns until all 82 of you have a chance to experience life in a real body. Right. But, but, but so, yeah, it's just weird because what the aliens need is somebody to help them fix their ship because it's apparently falling apart. Well, it is true. Their ship is deteriorating, right? Yeah. 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 And so it, there's this, uh, yeah. But I also think it, it that the, the, the thing that the episode does allow us to do is to have to Paul and Archer move another step and trust themselves, mm-hmm. which, you know, he has to be reminded that he said that she's trustworthy. And so to allow her to do this, he needs to trust her judgment. And I think that's a nice, you know, moment in the episode. It's a nice reminder that these characters are still continuing to grow. And, you know, that's that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but, uh, you know, I, I can see it from both sides. Mm-hmm. Um is that it does seem kind of strange that Archer isn't interested in creating some kind of dialogue throughout the episode. And I wish that the episode had either given us a little bit more of that and then the descent, or just that the whole time everything seems a little bit more fishy that, allows us to understand why Archer is feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what might have worked better is if the aliens, if they tried to actually have some kind of cultural exchange like was hinted at at the beginning, and they have an ulterior motive, but they're really trying to hide that. Because you don't feel like the aliens are really trying to hide it. They possess people. Think about the scene on the bridge with Hoshi and Archer and you know, it's very clear that Hoshi has been possessed. And if it were a bit underneath everything, like we as viewers know something is going on, but Archer and Phlox and Paul, they're not so sure. Maybe something seems a little bit odd, but it's not, it doesn't turn into just a full-on invasion of the body snatcher situation where the crew is being taken over and the the crew is going to be fully possessed by these aliens if they don't do something. If it didn't turn into that, it turns into too much of a a very straightforward, we got to get aliens off the ship and action sequence. We even get to the point of mm-hmm. Trip running through the catwalk and Travis right. not realizing that it's not actually Trip, that it's a wisp inside trip, which you would think Travis would immediately realize, okay, you're acting weird. 
even before he starts running. And once he starts running and knocking people off the, the catwalk and try to go down through the hatch, and Travis still says, no, you can't go in there. It's not safe. I'm like, Travis, yeah. it's not I, trip. <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's not I him. mean, <laughs> come on. Trip is wisping ass, you know, all over the place. As you, so it's like, what are, are you really, you know, this dense Travis that you can't realize that this is not trip? <laughs> yeah. I know, Matthew, that you're really wanting wisping ass to be the title of this episode, right? <laughs> I can that, tell. It honestly just came to me while you were talking, but I was like, that's exactly what's happening in this episode. And then, you know, of course, we, we get uh, the whole fight between um, Phlox and Trip there. And, you know, Phlox has to wisp a little ass. Yeah. Oh, you mean, yeah. And then Phlox and Hoshi have their fight as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just all it's, over the place in this episode. Yeah. 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 Exactly. A lot of kung fu fighting going on. A lot of that, yeah, exactly. And this just reminds me, joking here a little bit, one thing that struck me, I realized something. In Enterprise, they talk about the Vulcan database a lot. And at the beginning of this, they see the ship, and T'Pol says, it's not in the Vulcan database. And I realized that the Vulcan database is basically space Wikipedia, right? If it's not in the Vulcan database, then... Nobody knows about it yet. It's got to be in there. Well, you know, I mean, it's a, it's. A, but what about time travel? Because that's. A, so I mean, it's like, well, guys, you yeah. already mentioned. We've already had like time travel episodes, you know, where well, Paul hasn't know, seen all of Star databases. Trek yet. Matthew, she's a little bit behind. It's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. She hasn't gotten to Time Zero uh, yet, for example. Yeah, it's true. It's um, true. Okay, well, while we're talking about the catwalk, one other thing we can touch on is the fact that the catwalk is still set up with a secondary bridge. So this was a nice element of the story where they've got some continuity going through. In the episode called The Catwalk, of course, they set up a command center there because they had to take refuge there for an extended period of time. And it's interesting that they've left that up there. It's a an indication of kind of tactical thought, and they're realizing that it would be a good idea to have another command center in case something happens and we can't be on the bridge. And then if you think about later Star Trek, you carry that forward to future starships where you actually have a battle bridge, you have a secondary bridge in case something goes wrong and you can't access the first bridge. And so I both Mm -hmm. liked the continuity element here and also how it 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 provides background texture for what we know comes later. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree with you a hundred percent. I I thought this was a, a really nice uh, piece of continuity, but in many ways, I think that it does set up the uh, germ of the idea for Starfleet. You know, maybe having a backup operation center is not a bad idea mm-hmm. on a starship uh, because there may be reasons and and need for it uh for a place that has a lot more shielding uh and and everything uh to be necessary and we've already seen that a couple times here uh on uh enterprise and so i i do love that that is a, a great little nugget 
that carries forward. And of course, something we finally see in the next generation and is carried forward um, with the different ships uh, throughout the next generation era and most likely was a part of the ships on TOS, but we just never saw the need for them. Yeah, Um, right. And so, um, but uh, no, I I thought that was great. Yeah, in in my head canon, and this can probably be contradicted by like opening opening up the tech manuals, and it's not actually drawn out in the schematics. But in my head canon, yeah, probably the idea of a battle bridge, well, the existence of a battle bridge, goes much further back in time on starships than what we saw on screen because it does make mm-hmm. yeah. sense in the way you would design something. And if you were a military leader and and military engineers. This is something I think you would really think of as being necessary yeah. and you would put into a design. And so I'm okay with retconning that kind of thing and even dropping the origins of it into a prequel like this, I think is interesting. One thing also about the catwalk, though, from a storytelling standpoint here, which is really convenient and they just throw in, is the fact that there's something in the shielding around the catwalk and actually, uh, Trip explains what it is when Archer asks. It's reinforced with osmium alloy, and that prevents the wisps from going through. Mm-hmm. Which we already know they can get through the hull of the ship from outside. Although maybe they're using subspace, as I said, that's possible. But inside the ship, there's that chase sequence where a wisp is chasing Travis, and Travis keeps closing the bulkheads like that's going to stop it and then it goes through and it goes through until it gets to the catwalk and then it can't go through and i thought well isn't that convenient yeah i mean this is one of the places i think where you know we kind of talked about a lot of the areas of the episode that just don't feel as necessarily well thought through as a lot of the other episodes we've talked about in this Mm -hmm. season and this one feels you know quite generic and oh we need a plot reason for this to happen now we do know already and i i guess i could play devil's advocate for a second that the catwalk has more shielding and different types of alloys that have kept them safe uh before Mm -hmm. uh and so to kind of build off of that and then add this element makes sense uh and so if there was going to be anywhere on the ship we've already said in the show previously mm-hmm. that you know the catwalk area of the nacelle has uh a, a different structural uh setup and yeah. framework and alloys used because of you know i mean it's for the warp core right well it would uh, so need that, to that, of course yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah. yeah yeah so but it is like a place where you're thinking okay this feels more convenient than when we had that previously mm-hmm. uh and plot driven than mm-hmm. that necessarily previously uh and, and especially since he mentions a new alloy uh instead of maybe just trying to dig for something that we've already said in the past yeah i mean if he said something like yeah of course captain if it didn't we'd all get showered with radiation when we use the warp engine just something like that you know mm-hmm. instead of making up a new uh specific reason for it there but but no if you stop and think about it and describe it as you did here it makes sense in the moment as a viewer it felt like a 
I don't want to say a plot contrivance per se, but it 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 is noticeable right. that oh, okay, suddenly we're okay. And it just doesn't feel as organic as you would want it yeah, to. Right. Which I think that as we've talked about this, there are a lot of things in the episode that just haven't felt quite as organic mm-hmm. as a lot of the episodes in the second season. And I think just in Enterprise in general have felt previously, mm-hmm. which right. I, I think leads, you know, you and I were kind of talking about this before we started recording it. And one of the things that is a, a real standout in the episode is is when Fox needs leverage uh, with his <laughs> uh, yeah, foot. Exactly. And <laughs> I've called this point on the outline, use your foot for leverage. <laughs> yes. Because, um, and, and, and I loved the way that you were talking about this before we were recording because it, it is something to which there seems to be an extraordinary amount of steps that Phlox has yeah. to go through yeah. to do something that seems like it should be very simple to do uh, through the touch of a few buttons, which is to control what's going right. through the air supply. Exactly. He's just trying to release carbon dioxide, right? Yes. <laughs> you just should need like a command code to do that. Yeah. You you shouldn't need to walk through forty different steps and 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 you know traverse like three different levels. Right. Well, okay. So we talked about how the secondary command center in the catwalk may be informed starship design in the future, and that's why there are battle bridges. Now, if you think about episodes of the Next Generation, there have been situations where they need to release some kind of gas all over the ship, and right. That's always been something that's very easy to do, as easy as telling the computer, release X parts of this gas right. at this time. You know, it's kind of like setting a reminder with your voice assistant. So maybe after this, Archer put it in his log, it really needs to be easier to release gas all over the ship. Can we do something about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well... Part of that, this whole process that um, as you're watching it, I I think this is where another issue for the episode kind of shows up is it just feels like we're kind of padding for time. Yeah, we're and trying part to of stretch that it is, out. Yeah. Yes. And part of that is, is that we don't actually, and to kind of bring it full circle, we never really deal with the... Uh, aliens in a way that feels as organic as as it should, you know, mainly because we just kind of blow them out of the sky and leave. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like there's so much more that could have been done with this episode to make it more interesting, especially with the the time that you had here, instead of this kind of very generic action sequence, wannabe, you know, die hard on the Enterprise. That's... It just, it doesn't feel as well thought out uh, here. And so. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the criticisms of this episode that I've seen is about this whole sequence of Archer walking flocks through the process of releasing CO2 around the ship. And first of all, it kind of feels like something that maybe should be controlled from sickbay as you say, through a computer, because it affects the health of the crew. 
But the fact that he has to go to so many places and he has to release panels and you have lines of dialogue like Flux says, I'm releasing the panel. What should I do with it? And Archer says, I don't know, whatever you want to do with it, put it down. You know, like, why do mm-hmm. we need all this stuff to be described? And I mean, and, doesn't that kind of make Flocks a little bit of an idiot, too? Well, that's the it's thing. Like, Flocks, you're I, a doctor. Yeah, right. Well, even if he's not a doctor, I mean, seriously, Matthew, if I told you something, we live in the same house, for example, and I tell you there's something wrong with the, the furnace and you go to check it, you're not going to ask me, what should I do with the panel after I take it off, right? You're going to know that you should probably just put it on the ground, right? I mean, it's it's not- like Ricky Bobby in, in uh, Talladega Nights when he's getting his first interview and he's like, I don't, I don't know what to do with my hands, where to, where to put them, because he's so nervous. And it's like, nobody's like that. It, but that's exactly what we're talking yeah. about here. Like something that just seems so absurd to have happen in the episode. And so, Yeah. <laughs> So and it goes on and on, and then later Tapal gets involved as well, and in explaining things, it's in such detail. It's like, oh yes, Captain, it's right here where you said it would be. It has six green lights. Oh, that's great. There should be switches next to them. They're five centimeters to the left, and then Tapal jumps in. Those six switches control yeah. the feed, and you're going to have to recalibrate them in sequence for carbon dioxide. And you would, again, think that the doctor of the ship would already be aware mm-hmm. of the switches that control the release of gas into the ship. So so anyway, it's just kind of funny. And, you know, I've heard this complaint before about this part of the story. And I was watching it this time and I got through the first part of it and I thought, well, that's not that bad. You know, this it's common in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. We have things like that. But then it goes on, and then it goes on, and then I started thinking, yeah, yeah, you know, if if this episode were produced today in the streaming world, it would just be five minutes shorter, because they wouldn't need to be hitting right. that exact right. mark to fit commercials in, and then hit the one hour mark, and you wouldn't need this kind of padding. And I'm I'm very confident that this whole sequence would have been condensed down into something really basic, but. The other thing I thought about it was, it reminded me of this. In First Contact, when they need to release the dish, they have to go to these specific locations and they have to go through this long sequence of turning knobs and pulling levers that get stuck to release clamps to make it happen. And again, you feel like that's something that probably could be done by the push of a button on a computer and even if they don't have control over that command sequence on the bridge there should be some backup system maybe multiple backup systems on the ship for something like that that they would be able to get into because in plenty of stories when it seems hopeless they're still able to get in and do something like that right but here because you need the action sequence you've got this convoluted thing that they have to go through and you see that in other Star Trek stories as well. And you always think, my goodness, Starfleet engineers, why do you make everything so complicated? But, you know, it's just there for the story. But I would say the one in First Contact works because there's a lot of drama surrounding it. But here, there really isn't that drama surrounding it. It just feels like it's drawn out to pad the story. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, for me, unfortunately, and 
this is one of those episodes where it is just not an excellent episode of Enterprise. Um, and it's, um, it's, I don't know. I, I'm really interested at Chris, but before I forget, before I give my rating, what would you like? What are your final thoughts and ratings for this one? Because I'm really kind of torn of where I am with this. Uh, my final thoughts are that it starts out with a very promising premise. I think they had an interesting idea, but for some reason they didn't they didn't follow that idea. They didn't follow that path through to what I would expect them to do based on other stories that they've written. I mean, this was written by Brennan Braga and Rick Berman and Andre Bormanis, who was the science advisor for so long on Star Trek. And I'm somewhat, although not entirely surprised, that it went down the path that it did. And I just wish that it had gone down the cultural exchange path, which I've mentioned many times here. And I don't mean field trips, but I mean getting to know life that's different from you because at the very beginning of the episode I felt like yeah okay this is in line with what Star Trek is supposed to be but not only did it not follow through with that promise it seemed to run short on story and they had to drag it out to hit the runtime that they needed back then for broadcast television and the other thing I just want to mention in the final thoughts though and we've touched on it, but the fact that they destroy the ship at the end. So like you pointed out, one besides wanting to experience life in corporeal bodies, the primary reason for the initial contact was that these wisps need assistance with repairing their ship. So put yourself in the shoes of the wisps, even though they don't wear shoes because they're not corporeal, you've encountered someone who you think might be able to help you. And in the end, you actually get destroyed. Your ship gets destroyed. And although the Enterprise flies away after the torpedoes uh, enter the Wisp ship and it starts to catch on fire, and that's the end of the story, we know that all 82 of these aliens died because it's already been said in the episode they can't survive in space. So our heroes who are out there exploring space and representing humanity made first contact with unknown life forms and in the end killed them all. And we don't even know if there are any more of them out there. So it could have been the end of the Wisps. And it's just such a disconnect between what was established at the beginning of the episode as the premise for the story and then the way it ends. And so that was really disappointing for me. So if I'm going to give it a rating, I'm going to give it, I don't know, three pieces of plain white sliced bread. Yeah, I really like what you had to say there. I think you did a very good job of summing up so many of the issues with this episode and you know i think one of the biggest is that we never actually deal with the fact that these aliens need help 
And even though they are a threat to us, we never actually offer to help them, which is mm-hmm. very strange. Uh, and instead, we just destroy them. And that's a it is a very strange place for this show to be. Now, I I get that. I believe the show does a good job of showing these aliens to be hostile and and not wanting help, but we never actually offer them the help, mm-hmm. which is just very interesting and odd as a choice. And so, yeah, I I think that this episode really just misses the boat in too many places and is just not well done in that regard. And that is, I think, very disappointing um, because I would say that for the most part, this show has done a great job of uh, really creating something very interesting. Uh, and, and I think not really falling into too many of the big tropes uh, that we get uh, with, uh, you know, Star Trek in general. But this one just really does. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm going to give this two out of five wisps that are lost, lost wisps. I don't know. I like, I'm so uninspired <laughs> by the episode. I don't really uh, have a good rating, but yes, two out of five. So, all right. This is actually, I would say, one of the worst episodes of Enterprise, if you ask me. Um, just because I think that the writing fails so spectacularly when the actual promise of the story could be really good. Um, and I think that's the thing that frustrates me the most. Yeah. Okay, that's that's an interesting statement because when I think of Enterprise and what is the worst episode, I tend to think of Extinction. And certainly not this one, but now that we've rewatched it, and if we think about how it upholds the ideals of Star Trek and and what the rest of the show's been doing, yeah. Yeah, maybe so. All right. Well, everyone, we would love to hear your thoughts on The Crossing. There are many ways for you to share those with us. Perhaps the best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That is our listeners group. It is a closed group. So if you're joining for the first time, please do answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. It's designed to extend the conversations beyond the podcasts, not just to be a generic Facebook group. So we do want to keep it there for our listeners. And you'll see a post for this episode on the timeline And you can share your thoughts with Matthew and me and your fellow listeners right there in the Babel Conference. You can also send us email. Go to our website, trek.fm slash contact, and use the form that you find there. Choose to send to a show. Choose Warp 5, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And you can find us everywhere in social media. Our username is trek.fm. And if your podcast app of choice allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd love to get that from you as well. Now, Matthew, when you're not busy deciding whose body you're going to take over next, where can people find you? Well, that's a big decision, Chris. So uh, as I'm pondering that, you can find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero. Uh, You can also find me here on the network. We've got a whole other side of the network where we don't talk Star Trek, but we talk about all those other fandoms we love. It's called the 602 Club, so I do hope you'll join us there. Uh, you can also find me doing literary tracks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Chris, you and I are also in the Orb. Where we're walking through our 30th anniversary rewatch of Deep Space Nine. We've got Saddle Up about Strange New Worlds and the Artificial Tango. Chris, by the time this probably drops, 
Star Trek Picard season three will either have started or almost started. So it's so close we can taste it. And so I hope everybody will join us there. You can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network. Uh, we've got two shows. One is a completed show with Drea Kaufman about Harry Potter, talking about every single chapter of that series, one chapter at a time. It's called Owl Post. And then John Mills and I talk about Star Wars each and every week on aggressive negotiations. But Chris, you know, when you're not, uh, you know, a little bit lost in this new corporeal form, uh, where can people find you? Well, you can find me in the mess hall just digging into all kinds of food. And when I'm not eating, you can find me here on the network, of course, doing all of those shows with you that you mentioned. You can also find me in many episodes in the back catalog. And if you want to chat, you can find me on social media. My username everywhere is C Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. Twitter is where I'm most active, but you can find me in other places. I'm also on Mastodon now. It's C Brian Jones and the instance is trekkies.social. If you happen to have left the bird app and you still want to talk Star Trek with me, I'm over there as well, but also still very active on Twitter. If you'd like to help us keep this show and everything that we're doing here on the network going, we could definitely use your help. If you'd like to find out how to get involved, maybe you want to become an associate producer of our anniversary rewatches. You can find out how on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm. And I want to send a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting us now. We absolutely would not be here without you. So thank you so very, very much. Well, Matthew, I'm looking forward to next time when apparently we're going to be talking about your favorite Star Trek movie, The Undiscovered Country. Am I right about that? No, Chris, I think I think we're going for a little judgment. Oh, okay. I, you can understand the confusion, though. Yes, absolutely. But, uh, I, you know, all I got to say to that is let's go. 